now that we're doing the test record, I have a confession to make. Oh, I've 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 cheated. You know, this episode ended and I just I couldn't take it. I had to I had to press on and I watched another TV show. Thank Christ, Jacob. (laughs) Oh, my God. I was like, hello and welcome to the death of the Roman Republic's review of the 2005 HBO original series, Rome. Why would you spoil? Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've been watching the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> I planned that whole bit, so you can put that in the episode, but uh, I was hoping you would react somewhat similarly. <laughs> That's that's good. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're gonna have a conversation off mic about on mic etiquette there, Jacob. So get ready for a HR review. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, You're yeah. off the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> HBO's Rome season one, episode eleven, the spoils, the penultimate episode of Rome season one. One left to go, guys. This one, um, I was I. I thoroughly enjoyed watching it myself. I know at least uh, one other person really enjoyed this episode as well. Also worth noting, if you hear any extra pauses in the audio, guys, um, I'm recording with my shirt off, so I think you know where my fellow hosts are looking. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I, I lose my train of thought in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I can edit those in as well anytime I want. So, yeah, this is the case show, baby. Uh, all right. Primary host for the last time this season, Cole. Take us away. What happened in the spoils? All right. We start off in Rome at night. An old man is running through the streets as another unseen man creepily hums behind him. The man running is suddenly killed by the man humming. The hummer is Polo. Polo walks away, and within seconds, this man's body is looted for everything he has. We then go to Varinus and family. They are getting ready for Varinus's hard day at work of being a magistrate. Varinus is hearing a complaint about some soldiers breaking piss pots. I wasn't quite sure oh, what that was about. Oh, you heard correct. <laughs> this is just a question for Kay or for anybody else that can clarify for me. What exactly does a magistrate do in Ro- in this time of Roman society? Like, what is the job description? What are Varinus' sure. responsibilities? Yada, yada, yada. So this is, like, weirdly vague to me. Like, a magistrate is any elected official in the Roman Republic. So the highest consuls are magistrates. Mark Antony's uh, Tribune is a magistrate. Um, but the fa- I don't it's it's weird that Varinus's magistrate is non-defined because as far as I know everything on the cursus honorum every kind of magistrate is named something other than magistrate it's like uh, I can't think of any general position there but I I guess I don't really know he appears to have been elected to something I don't know if this is totally invented or you know I just don't know the deep lore of the Roman Republic basically gotcha gotcha I am unable to clarify further on that matter, but uh, <laughs> a man's talking about his pots for full of pee that I I'm forgetting what he actually did with them. I didn't write that part down in my notes. I well, I see. He said that. Uh, how am I to make cloth now? 
which I was like, I don't understand how cloth is made, apparently. Yeah. I I'm don't understand how piss form. is in there at all. Maybe it's like an ammonia thing that I don't know. That's my only guess. See, now that you say that, I feel like it's that as well. Like the properties of urine must have something mm -hmm. to die with. Yeah. Um, but I didn't or really bleach myself too much I don't with know. these jars. Yeah. Point being, they've been thrown on people in the streets and he can't make cloth anymore because he doesn't have any piss. <laughs> yeah. But uh, a man saunters up while he's in the middle of complaining and saying, oh, yeah, uh, soldiers have been breaking my pots. And he says, hey, it might not have been soldiers. It uh, could have been uh, gladiators messing around. The the guy complaining says, oh, no, it was soldiers. And like, no disrespect to you, like addressing the man as a soldier because he can tell the man's a veteran. Varinus says this will not happen again. The man grows irate and continues to complain and just gets louder and louder. Varinus grabs him and repeats himself firmly that it will not happen again. The man accepts and leaves. He goes up to this other soldier, Massius, and they greet each other. They're old war buddies. Varinus wishes to talk to him, but, you know, he's an honorable man. He's got a job to do. He has to see all of his clients. They can speak after. The after comes, and they're in Varinus' house. They're, they're having a conversation. Massius asks about Polo, claiming him and Varinus like Castor and Pollux. Varinus then says that Polo is dead to him, to Massius' surprise. Then he kind of just moves past it. Massius and fellow soldiers want more from Varinus. He's already been giving them money. Well, I'm actually not... Has he specifically been giving them money, or is it like a, a government stipend type thing? And is there a difference? I guess it's, there's effectively no difference, essentially, since Caesar has, is, was made dictator for 10 years, so it's their old general paying them out with the state treasury, I suppose. Okay, but uh, they want more than what they've already been given. Massius and the soldiers want land. They want land in Italy. And Varinus says, hey, Caesar will give you guys land, but, but he's not going to give you land in Italy, so just, just stop that thought right there. Varinus was given land in Italy, so, you know, our boy Massius takes umbrage with that. Jacob, go ahead. Well, I, it just made me very sad to hear. This doesn't exactly have to do with the land in Italy thing, but uh, when Varinus was like, oh, yeah, Pullo's dead to me, I was like, oh, mm -hmm. this is going to be one of these episodes, huh? I'm just going to, you know, we get to see the, the real unraveling of it all. These two going down different paths and they're it's just they're not gonna reconcile and it's gonna be so sad and they used to be best friends and he's dead to him i mean i understand why but he's dead to him oh jacob have, is this like a plot point on gilmore girls uh um not in the first three episodes i've watched <laughs> the two greatest tv shows of all time <laughs> rome and gilmore girls one of those is correct, then it's not the one you think. <laughs> Massius is angry because Varinus was given land in Italy. Varinus counters that he is a magistrate and not just a soldier, and he's one man as opposed to legions. Massius asks him to talk with Caesar, see if they can arrange something, and then he leaves. Cut to Polo doing sex again, but he's robbed by the women that do sex to him. I, I wanted to note that Polo appears to like be soliciting prostitutes, um, one of whom is Jane from Breaking Bad Season 2, and the other is a 80s cocaine addict. Um, that's a joke. She kind of looks similar at first. Oh, she okay. Later on. Yeah, yeah, it's not the actual actress. 
Kristen something. Beefy. That would have been cool. I'm blanking on her name. I definitely thought that this was like an and this editing might have just been kind of confusing. I definitely thought that it was definitely the aftermath of them having sex. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. that might yeah. have been what it was. I don't know. Uh, this and this also just made me immediately like, oh, yeah, I was right. Yep. Polo is he is going through it. He uh, he didn't even take any time to say no to that job he was offered last episode, which we knew he was going to take. And surprise, surprise, yeah. he took it and he's killing people. And now he's he's uh, getting robbed by uh, well prostitutes and uh, doing drugs, question mark. Oh, yeah, he's, like, totally smoking, like, that pipe. Like, uh, he picked that up from Cleopatra, yeah. I guess. Yeah, so I was like, oh, this is unraveling very badly. Like, if I were to make uh, a parallel to today's society, Polo has become a crackhead, which I don't take much joy in saying. <laughs> yeah, not, like, a fun, like, middle school way of saying crackhead, apparently. No. Um, even yeah. though J- even though Jacob has never seen television before this does but speaking of Breaking Bad this does, does kind of remind me of that time uh in Breaking Bad when Jesse kind of relapses after spoiler for Breaking Bad dies just kind of what's happening he, he's Breaking at, Bad pod <laughs> yeah apparently just like and Gilmore Girls <laughs> just like Jesse in that part in that season of breaking bad and much like in this episode of polo polo's just at his lowest point all right so now has a or sorry dang it i'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing well uh, bp has now spoiled half the podcast on a plot point breaking bad and god knows how many audience members i want to seriously go back a beat for a moment here when verinus was holding um um court for lack of better words he was talking to his mm-hmm. constituents there was a common boy in the crowd who like smiled at verina the younger and uh did like a uh, niobe picked up on that and she yeah. like physically turns her daughter's head away from the common boy uh i think it just goes to show i don't like uh niobe's like kind of just becoming like a mob wife or something like that like um taken well to the affluence yes yes it it, like later on we'll see some struggle certainly oh yeah uh but um i mean she i she accepts all the 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 regalities and extra glitz and glam she gets so many more slaves she makes up the home like she's putting good use of the wealth but it appears to maybe be changing her or maybe this is always who she was supposed to be or something like that i thought that was a uh, i thought that was interesting to see and worth noting there also is has there been I, any update on Verena the elder in terms of her marriage well, well she's not, we she's not marrying that guy yeah we learned that they got divorced if they ever did end up getting together because of that's right. uh, new appointment. That's and right. I'm remembering that now. I guess we didn't get an update in the fact that Niobe was like, it, you know what it looks like for a, a woman of your age to stay unmarried and uh, or something like that. But we, I don't know. We never got that resolved. But Also, we just haven't yeah, seen Lucius. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sure he's been some background child we've seen. Polo goes to Erastes Fullman. He wants some more work. Orestes Fullman is not happy with Polo's lack of subtlety, let's call it. Polo swears that he will do better. He is told to return tomorrow for more work. He asks for some money and is given it, and he wants to spend it there to drink, but is told he cannot drink there as it is a reputable establishment. Go ahead, BP. This, to me, is my funniest moment. It did not necessarily make me laugh the most, 
But the reason why I find it so humorous is the fact that it is so ironic that Aridas is saying only honorable people can drink here, yet this is essentially a mafia doing terrible things and very unhonorable things. And I just find so much irony in that line, and it cracks me up. Well, that made me even more sad because I was like, Polo's turned to this life of crime, but hey, he's good at it. He's good at killing people. And it turns out the mob is like, you are bad. (laughs) We look down upon you. Like, even us, we look down upon you, Polo. You're the bottom of the barrel of people. And I just... it's also kind of darkly funny in that you know polo asks for an advancement in his pay and it's like okay here you go and his he immediately wants to buy a drink with it and then gets shut down it's like yikes he's uh hitting the bottle pretty hard too Mm -hmm. apparently um also this fine establishment uh isn't erastes eating mice is that what he says yes they make him savory here yeah the mice are (laughs) oh man yeah, it's like I said, it's not that the line itself is funny. It's just the irony surrounding all of it is what's funny. Best mice in Rome. Uh, Cole, if I may, my funniest moment is this little lead-in right here. If I may just cue up this transition. Go for it. Appreciate it. So cut to the Senate house. Varinus appears to be meeting with Caesar's ba- uh, brain trust. Varinus, Antony, Caesar, Pasca, still there, I think. Uh, Caesar says, uh, talking about the whole issue that Varinus brings up. What can I do? I can't make farmland. Antony, certainly can. It's called eviction. Oh, Antony <laughs> with the quips. He keeps them coming. I respect it. Oof, oof. But uh, Caesar's concerned about the situation with the soldiers. He decides to give them land in Pannonia. That's what it was, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, land in Pannonia. It is difficult land, and it is very far away. Varinus doesn't think Massius will accept. Caesar tells him to make a, a personal offer of his choosing. The ball's in your court, Varinus. You figure out what to offer this man to get him to agree. Caesar also wants Varinus and Niobe to come to Adia's symposium which I thought was like an art thing, but apparently that just is a fancy word for party. It's just another party. (laughs) Yeah. Farinas is worried they won't fit in. Caesar tries out his new throne that has been carried in after Farinas leaves and complains with Antony about Cicero's long-winded speeches. Go ahead, BP. Something I love when Farinas talks about how he feels he and his wife won't fit in. I love Caesar's response saying, you'll get used to high society or something, or you'll fit into high society soon enough. Just that whole, like that little quip back from Caesar being like, oh, you'll get there. You don't like it now, but you'll get there. Go ahead. I object to the use of the word throne. For is it a throne or is it just a comfortable chair? And (laughs) I, I would not bring it up if not it being a plot point later on. But maybe maybe I I, I uh, posit it to you, fine gentlemen. Is it a throne? Uh, I did uh, when I was writing my notes. I did classify it as a throne. Okay. It felt more like it wasn't like gaudy, but it was like it felt more ostentatious than what had been there. Yeah, it's like um, it's just it, it's what what is a throne even like? How do you define <laughs> what a throne is versus yeah. a chair? You know, like a, a, a uh, anyways. Suppose- court justice uh you can't put a definition on throne but i know it when i see it 
<laughs> oh man. Um, but I, you, no, Jacob. Yeah, you're totally right. Um, in that point, it, it's just like you, it's like two people looking at the same object, and how do you interpret it? Because you can't have wildly different responses based on your mm -hmm. background and biases. Now, Varinus returns home, and Niobe, who was speaking with her friends, hurriedly shoes them out, which I I was a little confused by, but a. Uh, Brinus says hello to them as they walk out, and the, as they walk out, they're, they're complaining about Niobe. They're, they seem annoyed. Jealous, most likely, because she's rich now? I disagree. I don't think it's jealousy. I think it's the Niobe is taken to affluence thing, again, because this is actually where I wrote it in my notes. Niobe has taken to affluence, because we see these little hints of this kind of classist divide uh, emerging, throughout the series because uh like how how niobe starts to treat polo and how she turns verena the younger's head away from the little common boy and now her old friends who are still of the lower class she spurns she gives them money on their way out it's like well thanks for visiting it, it's like what does she say she says like uh you need if you need to make an appeal anytime come back again and they're like mm -hmm. an appeal no we're just hanging yeah yeah like, I didn't know I needed a reason to come say hello. But uh, we get a, a cut to the newsreader. He reveals Caesar has been named dictator for life and that the fifth month of the year has been named after him. Henceforth, it shall be known as July. We cut to Brutus, who is uh, some, some artwork of him and Caesar on the wall, and he demands it erased. Cassius appears and tells him that he shouldn't really bother with it. It's a, it's all over the city. Cole, well, it's worth clarifying. It? What, what does the graffiti depict? Because we've seen one other form of graffiti before. Is it the same kind of graffiti or different? Oh, no, it's uh, Brutus stabbing Caesar in the back. Cassius tells Brutus not to worry, as Caesar knows that he has a friend in Brutus. Cassius then compliments Brutus, and Brutus critiques the plebs as they're walking over to the Senate building. Now, I'd like to have a quick moment to say that uh, this was my funniest moment of the episode when they're looking at the graffiti and uh, he's uh, Cassius is like, oh, you don't like it because of the message it sends. Well, and he's like, no, no, I don't, I don't like because that that doesn't look like me. <laughs> that is like, no, like, it, uh, it does. He's like, really? It's like, yeah, it looks exactly like he was like, oh, that's tragic. <laughs> so that was a, a good little like moment of like self-deprecation. But it does. But it doesn't have your vim, as as Cassius says. Yes. Well, I think I've realized now that this is might be the third time throughout this series so far that you've mentioned your funniest moment being something involving graffiti. It's a good form of comedy, BP. What can I tell you? It is the avenue for the people to express themselves artistically. Mm -hmm. That's what she said about improv last week. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I'll say it about a lot of things. <laughs> you know it when you see it. Exactly. Graffiti, the throne of comedy. <laughs> uh, I did think I, I, this very Cassius just slips this in in conversation. I can't remember where, but he does refer to Caesar as King Caesar. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is happening. Mm -hmm. These these folks hate this guy. <laughs> They're already calling him king. And you know how these Romans feel about kings. Uh, so... They enter the Senate chamber, and Cassius is not happy about the throne. They have a debate about whether it is a throne or a chair. He calls Brutus a coward, but then he apologizes. Brutus 
knows what Caesar is, knows he's a tyrant. But Caesar is his friend and insists that he alone, as one man, cannot save the Republic. Cassius disagrees. Cassius tells Brutus that he needs to kill Caesar because it is uh, in his blood. That's what his ancestors have done. They've killed Roman tyrants in the past, and it is time again. Brutus runs away in anger, and Cassius follows after. Caesar has to die. Well, um, like uh, Cassius, like physically tells him, he like whispers it that you know Brutus needs to be. If Caesar's gonna die, Brutus needs to be on a. And then Brutus physically pushes him away. They both have tears in their eyes in the scene as it goes down, and then they run off trying to escape. But Brutus is trying to escape what so many people are trying to push him towards. It's something similar to what we talked about last week, where the moment where uh, a lot of people see Brutus as kind of this, uh, almost kind of like this moderate hero, essentially. Not like, I don't know if hero is the right word, but Brutus in that first episode keeps talking about how he doesn't want to be involved in politics. Now he is the center of the politics for many people. And Cassius even says that the Republic is in, your hands because and Brutus keeps saying no I am just one person it is not my hands but Cassius is affirming that this is the only way that people are gonna feel that the Republic is safe is if you do something Polo is waiting to kill a man he then kills said man it 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 looks like Martin Scorsese (laughs) I didn't know that Jacob Jacob's never seen movies or television, so he doesn't. I mean, know. I don't know. Was, was movies clarified? I don't remember. <laughs> I mean, I just I actually just don't watch movies. Is how what it is. Okay, that's fair. My <laughs> only note here was that uh, subtlety is still not Polo's strong suit. Yeah, this old lady walks over and just starts yelling at him, like screaming murder at him, uh, just like slowly, like walking behind him, yelling it. And he threatens her, like her with the knife, like to kill. Her. And she stops. And then he, he doesn't do it. And then he goes back to walking away. And she continues just like yelling murderer behind him. Then he uh, he sits on on the steps as like hallucinations of the the old lady surround him. He feels either guilty or he's going insane. Jury is still out. Why not both? Porque I, no las dos. I think it's definitely a mix of the two. He is going insane and he's feeling guilty about everything because we'll see later why he is feeling guilty. Massius is not happy about this arrangement about the land that Varinus is coming through with. The veterans uh, will not accept it. Varinus offers him 5,000 and then 7,000 denarii to, to take the deal but is declined. He is told I will not take it even for 20,000 denarii. Like My honor will not be sold. But after a tense conversation, he agrees to do it for 12000 and leaves. Oh, there's a great quote in here that I, there was a lot of good quotes in this episode. There's one I really like. Um, Massius is like, uh, I, w- I won't do it. I won't betray my men. Uh, men with swords always find where, or men with swords never starve. And Varinus stops him, but they do die. And uh, Captain's yes. first. Yeah, captains first, Massius being mm-hmm. captain. Uh, and that does seem to bring Massius to his senses because then he does settle for an yeah. amount that is less than 20,000. Varinus and Niobe get ready for the symposium. Adia continues to stir the pot, telling Caesar that Brutus will betray him because he listens to his mother. Caesar 
underestimates Servilia's rage. He understands that she probably doesn't like him, but he doesn't know quite how far that goes. Now, Antony comes to speak with Octavia as Adia listens in from the side. It's worth noting as well, like, um, Antony just seems to be just oozing charisma over Octavia, which is basically mm -hmm. their second conversation we've seen here. But I feel yeah. like he's um, he's bringing out a lot of sultriness. And he, he you know, he's obviously aware that Adia is listening, but he's like, uh, your mother's a vicious and heartless creature. I find I'm wretched without her. And Adia's kind of like, you know, piques her interest. Um, then he asks Octavia to talk to her for him. Let her know how pitiful I've become. It's, oh, it's so good. It's like, they're very toxic, obviously. Uh -huh. But, you know, she's listening and everything. It's all a big performance and everything. And I don't know, maybe he's also trying to make her jealous by chatting up Octavia, even at all. So, uh, great, great moment. Now, Octavia replies, because uh, it seems like an a Adia initially, like, leaves. But we find out she's literally just, like, just out of frame beyond the door. Uh Octavia replies and says, oh no, she's still like super into you. She's just pretending because that's how she is. Adia storms back in and says, no, that's a lie. And then insults Niobe for no reason upon her walking in. This was crazy though. I was like, whoa, worlds just collided. Like this whole time it's been parallel stories where like, I mean, sure, Varinus has interacted with some of these people and Atia once, but like not Niobe. I was like, it's all coming together. Oh my gosh, Rome is all Romaning, and the Roman people are Rome. And it, uh, it, was, it was just, I don't know, I thought it was cool. Mm -hmm. I definitely, for some reason, both times I watched this episode, thought Octavia knew that Atia was not very far out because she keeps looking back and things like that. And I wonder if she said, oh, no, he, she's still into you. That's just the way she is to kind of get her, get Adia to prove that she is hiding just right behind the wall. I yeah, I believe it. Yeah, plausible. I can see it. Yeah. Caesar introduces Adia to Niobe and Varinus. And uh, Adia uh, shows how two-faced she is by insulting Niobe's dress when she walks in. And then they're walking off together. And uh, she's like, oh, who made this dress? It is lovely. And she's like, oh, I made it myself. She's like, oh, cool. Fantastic. <laughs> but uh, Caesar is told of Massius's agreement and is surprised he did not get more money out of Varinus. He then praises Varinus and says he should have him deal with all of his corruption. Which Varinus obviously does not take yeah, well. Like, is, uh, literally using the word corruption. <laughs> emphatically says no. And Caesar says, oh, it was only a jest. Caesar says he wishes... <laughs> I believe that? it was a jest. Yeah, I believe so. Caesar says he wishes he were back in Gaul because war is a lot simpler than politics. Octavian arrives and greets Varinus and Caesar. Well, he starts to greet Varinus and Caesar corrects him because Varinus is now a higher rank than Octavian and so demands more respect. Apparently, Polo has been arrested. Octavian is telling him about this. I feel like we should have maybe seen an indicator of that, but, you know, go ahead. And Rome, Rome is all about just like letting things happen and we don't see it. It's, it's uh, status quo at this point. Sorry, BP. No, 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 no. Uh, Cole, you already shared what I wanted to say was they brush over it. We don't see it. Varinus just seems to know that this happens. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm just kind of like, oh, Varinus, at least for if they're not going to show Polo getting arrested, at least show Varinus's initial reaction to get him to him getting arrested. He is uh, awaiting trial and they uh, will not assist because people will think that Caesar ordered the hit because the guy that he killed was a was a big anti Caesar. Varinus and Octavian seem bummed about this. Caesar seems genuinely apologetic about not being able to help. Like, I, I, I bought that Caesar was genuinely like, yeah, I'm sorry. I know he's a brother to you, but uh, can't do it. Mm-hmm. Octavian does ask a question of Caesar, uh, like when he's like, oh, we can't kill him because then it'll look like I paid for his death. And Octavian's like, well, did you? And Caesar has this great quote. I, it's so good. I wish I could find a way to say it in my life all the time, but it's just simply too niche. But uh, it is, <clears throat> I did not know he existed until he didn't. And that's just so cool. Octavian, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, the one quick scene. Uh, Varinus uh, walks away and he gets Niobe. They both seem like they don't want to be there anymore, so they leave. We do a quick cut to Octavian informs caster to bring timon to him in the morning okay so i had one thing i wrote down as this scene was playing out i wrote down a prediction that i thought would be like crazy right because they're talking about how like oh if we save titus polo it will look very bad for me and i was like oh my gosh wait wait what is gonna happen what is about to happen uh because surely Polo gets saved, and that is going to look bad for Caesar. And Titus Polo was the man who brought down the Republic. And will Titus Polo also be the man who, in a domino effect, brings down the dictatorship? I was like, whoa. But that was my in-the-moment prediction. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, that that (laughs) domino is still hypothetically standing, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also, I was very excited, uh, the whole Octavian thing. I was like, we're going to get a jailbreak scene with Octavian. He gets all the coolest subgenres. Let's go. And yeah. Jailbreak, incest. God, the best of them. Yeah, I want a sick spy flick now. Yeah, (laughs) for real. Atia goes to bed after wishing Octavia good night. Antony is just waiting there for her. Atia acts like Atia and tries to avoid him, and then they just start making out and I presume have sex. Well, well, they play a little game with each other because you know they're they're standing there leering. Uh, Atia looks kind of mad, but uh, Antony goes with a kiss, slaps him. You know he grins. You know she's she's little cracks there. He goes in again, slaps again. Now they're both smiling. You know the game is on, and um, yeah, then then. Um, wildly toxic but yeah interesting but it has character. a charming rhythm to it doesn't it it's almost like a dance yeah i was captivated. yeah i specifically noted that it looked kind of yeah. like they were dancing and i also then... noticed one thing with the same way i'll keep this quick when octavian and adia say goodnight to each other it actually somewhat actually does feel genuine that too i totally and agree yeah i think i know last episode we talked about how Atia joins Octavia in bed uh, to show that she truly does love her, possibly. So maybe there's some reconciliation that has been happening off screen. Perhaps. But uh, we have Niobe back at home. She knows that Atia didn't like the dress. I'm not quite sure how you put it together. Maybe it was just like she saw through some of those catty comments. But uh, then a quick scene of Polo, the humming serial killer. He's just a 
sitting in the dungeons just hanging out and humming. I also want to make note that when Polo kills the second guy, I can't remember his name, the one that was a critic, critic of Caesar. Aphidius? Aphidius, yes. yeah. He makes a comment to one of his higher-ups to say to stop humming or stop whistling, and yet in that very first scene, he is humming, and he's not being very quiet about it. Now he's also doing it in his cell. Oh, yeah, that God. also confused me because, like, Polo was humming in the first scene, so the his second scene, I uh, was like, oh, he's humming again. This is just his thing, I guess. And then he tells the other guy to stop. So I'm like, was was he not doing that in the, the first scene? Was the other guy just there off screen? And then we get to hear with the dungeon and he's doing it again. It's just, it, it read very weird. He's in his, his happy place, maybe. Um, in the dungeon <laughs> where Polo is, he hears some rats squeaking, which I think parallels the rats he maybe saw before at the nice, fancy, bougie restaurant where he wasn't allowed to buy oh. a drink from even. <laughs> now, these gosh darn Roman hoodlums keep breaking all my piss jars. <laughs> I thought long and hard about that before I said it, so can you please include that? <laughs> Tim is looking for a lawyer for Polo. No takers until he pulls out money. Glad to see some careers haven't changed. <laughs> Too bad he uh, couldn't call Saul. No phones. Otherwise he would have. <laughs> Also, Saul's not alive. As far as we know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I bet there's a Solio out there. I can see Or a, a Solius. Or a Sola? Wait, wait. Isn't Saul? Well, I mean, Saul's a biblical name. This is only yeah. a little before Jesus. So I feel like it's on the table that Saul's a legit name out there. Man, we really are breaking bad podcast now, aren't we? <laughs> Lawyer meets with Polo and asks who paid him to kill that guy. Polo if his word that he would not say. Polo refuses to make this easy for the lawyer. This is what we call rock bottom, folks. He's physically in a bottom. While I do understand that Polo is somebody that wouldn't want to rat his job out, this is not helping in his favor because it is definitely making it now look like that Caesar was the one that paid Polo to kill this guy. And it's essentially, that's what it'll make it look like to the public guy. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I don't think Polo really cares. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think it's, I think their public perception is already that Caesar paid. And so Polo not speaking doesn't change it at all. Yeah. And I, it's so sad. I think it's just genuinely because Polo wants to die. Yeah. I was thinking not understand thing. why, but it's just, it's deeply he, depressing. He's and every good thing he had in his life. Exactly violently ruined everything mm -hmm. good in his life trial starts it is immediately not going well Apparently, another favorite subgenre of mine we're getting a trial episode let's go <laughs> apparently you don't need proof for evidence in rome as shown when the guy's like yeah, i don't even need evidence look at him he clearly killed that guy <laughs> varinus shows up to the trial and he meets massius there Massius and his boys from the 13th intend to save Polo. They're going to go a stabbing and get him out of there. That guy, it, I really want to note here that scene, it's like really good and really effective. Like this episode, it maybe rushes it in really quick under the wire, but it really takes pains to show the bonds 
that the veterans have with each other. Mm -hmm. And even though we just see Masius and Varinus meet the first time, we do get a sense they've known each other. They're mm -hmm. tight, so these negotiations are personal. And we've never even seen Masius and Polo interact, nor these other veterans that are going to try to bail them out. But the core of Caesar's Legion, even after they retire, those those bonds run really deep in the bonds that they have with each other. It's, it's cool to see, and we're going to see the full flowering of that, of course, later on in the episode. Mm -hmm. yeah. So a uh, quick question just for my own curiosity how many like soldiers were in a legion oh man i i oh, i feel like a thousand i don't know the actual exact number which makes me look like a scrub but i i feel like a thousand roughly the correct answer is six thousand six thousand men in a legion i was off by a little bit okay because i was thinking it's kind of cool because there are clearly uh, several people involved in this rescue polo operation I might be willing to believe some of them don't even know Polo. Like, they've never met him. It's just he's he was a member of the 13th. We're not letting him go out like this, which I think is even cooler. This scene also inspired an interesting revelation in me. Um, because earlier in the episode, uh, when Varinus and Caesar are discussing providing land to veterans... Um, I think it is specifically when Caesar's talking to Varinus about corruption and all that. He's like, oh, one corruption, but you've saved hundreds from becoming bandits. And I was like, wow, that actually like he's actually this scene probably kind of proves that that's the case. Because like, look at Polo, like mm -hmm. he got like what wealth, but nothing else. He doesn't have a skill. He doesn't know a trade. And he basically what became a, a pretty, probably the very worst version of a bandit. Um, but we also got like the little bit of knowledge that, oh, yeah, soldiers broke my piss pots. Somehow we're coming back to piss pots. And the soldiers, I don't know, they're being rapscallions. They're breaking stuff because they don't mm -hmm. have anything to do. They don't have jobs. They don't have skills. And so um, it's what Caesar said is actually really true. Caesar's a smart man. Mm -hmm. Varinus is angry that Massius wants to interfere. He's like, you can't do this. It'll look like a, that Caesar's men going for Caesar's guy, like that killed the guy that was anti-Caesar. It looks bad. Massius doesn't care about politics. Varinus threatens to tell the other soldiers about the bribe he accepted. Massius laments that they've ended up in this position and agrees to call the boys off. Which I, I really like that moment where it's just like... It, Matthews just seemed like genuinely upset of like, how is this where we're at now that we're like mm -hmm. arguing to this degree about like saving the life of a fellow member of the 13th. It's, it's all like, I mean, Varinus puts it in terms that it's for the good of the Republic, and Massius even salutes him on the way off. Like, even though they're very hard to disagree in this episode, Massius still follows orders and everything like that, and it's just... And what Jacob had just said moments ago, it's a really good exploration of utilitarianism and doing bad things possibly for the greater good and having mm -hmm. having to weigh that. Is it actually worth it? Because you don't you don't know the hypothetical, maybe like not all of these soldiers will turn into bandits, assuredly. Polo, I don't know, breaking him out. Would that really destabilize things any more than the fact that we see like the, the, the society seems to be turning on Caesar a lot this episode, which I think is a new angle. There is a claim mm -hmm. when the newsreader says he's dictator for life, but um, 
uh, Ophidio's lawyer, uh, the lawyer says that murders have become commonplace now and the crowd is rearing and cheering. And so it, it seems there's a newfound growing distaste for Caesar's rule and improvements not necessarily happening to the degree the common folk would like. I also see it as how much people do respect Varinus to a point where they're not they're not going through with this plan, even though it's in huge disagreement. It shows that Varinus has had a very strong impact on them as their leader. And so they're feeling that he they're disagreeing, but they think that he led us well in war. Why won't when he lead us well now? Very well put. The lawyer fails to get Polo off the hook, but I don't it really blame him. I mean, I feel like he was also bad at his job, but Polo did not give him a lot to work with. No. That magistrate also just kind of takes over the questioning and just says, like, if you don't deny his guilt, mm-hmm. then that, yeah. that means you don't have a case. It, you have nothing. I mean, to an extent, the magistrate is correct, but to be fair, like, the magistrate wasn't really giving the, the lawyer much of a chance either. I mean, he has a point, though. If you're not denying guilt, then what's Why the point? You know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Has a point. It was just very much like, like one question was asked, and the lawyer didn't even get a chance to really speak up. Yeah, a, a video lawyer, a video's lawyer even brings up, too, that Polo's paymaster is not known. And so <laughs> that's when the crowd starts shouting Caesar's name because the video mm-hmm. was Caesar's critic. And the lawyer's like, now, now. We can't say for certain, and it, it's just it's just playing politics and, and showing the degree of growing distrust of Caesar, possibly, or at least among this crowd. Mm-hmm. Polo is sentenced to death in the arena. Bum, 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 bum. Caesar and Brutus are playing chess? I wasn't sure what game it was. It looked vaguely chess-like. I saw it as symbolism for uh, politics kind of being this chess match, and it is Caesar testing Brutus's loyalty with a game of chess to see how far ahead Caesar is actually thinking Brut- uh, Brutus might actually betray him. I mean, yeah, I was just more saying I don't, I don't know if the literal game they were playing was chess or not, but uh, Caesar claims Brutus is like a son to him and asks him to govern Macedonia. Brutus doesn't believe himself suited, and Caesar says he underestimates himself. Asks him to reconsider upon Brutus saying no. Brutus asks why he wants him out of Rome. Caesar says that's not the case at all. It's why, like, why don't you trust me? It's like, I do, I do trust you. They then argue about him siding with Pompey initially, because that is a, a betrayal on his part. And just even if it was years in the past, does not make it not a betrayal. Brutus counters and says he would have aligned with Caesar if he had been asked, but he never was asked. A sword was pointed at him, and it was demanded. Caesar apologizes and insists that he trusts Brutus. Things then get more heated, and Brutus leaves angrily. He's been doing that a lot this episode. Mm -hmm. We then cut to Polo in his cell. He sacrifices a beetle, and I am going to leave that there because, spoiler alert, I am going to talk about this scene later. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Least favorite, okay. <laughs> yeah, I hated it. He is taken to the arena. The crowd is so excited. 
Timon is there. I don't think that's really relevant at all. I just they they keep cutting to him, so he is there. Timon's facial reactions are putting in work this episode. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. Also, can I just say I know I heard them say that uh, Polo was sentenced to die in the arena, and it didn't click to me until I saw him in the arena. I was like, what a bad decision on their part. He's going to <laughs> yeah. kill so many people. <laughs> is well, he? I also kind of feel like whenever we get shots of Timon. I never really know how important of a character he actually is in the grand scheme of it, of things, because I mean, he is the one that gets Atia the horse all the way back in episode one. He's the one that supervises the attack on Servilia. He's the one that's trying to get Polo free, but how much is he actually, how useful is he in the grand scheme of things? Cause he just kind of pops up and then just kind of goes away for a while and then just comes back super randomly. BP, do you want to give us three words and a little bit on 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 the boy? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Seemed like you had um, something to say. I No, it was just a question. It's more of like, is he really that important or is it just kind of, we don't have any other characters to do this, so plot convenience, we'll just bring back Tim in after X number of episodes. Perhaps. Maybe it's like, I mean, he might be the, the watered-down version of Varenus, where everything Varenus is assigned by the end, basically turns to gold at great personal moral cost to him, whereas Timon, you know, he has some similar antics, but it doesn't always go well, but nonetheless, he gets his hands dirty for Julii. Fair enough. Polo is taken to the arena. Crowd's excited. Timon's there. Polo doesn't want to fight. He just he puts the sword on the ground, and then he sits down. Posca is given some money by Caesar. Varinus arrives at the execution. The the gladiators are trying to get Polo to stand up and fight, and he says, "No, I don't want to fight." He's, they're like, "Come on, just, just just stand up, just hold the sword. You don't have to move around or anything. We'll we'll take care." And he says, "No, I don't want to." Then one of them insults the thirteenth. The one that looks like Alex Jones, yeah. Yes, Polo gets angry and uh, they they realize oh this is this is how we get him so the dude just starts talking so much crap about the 13th polo then proceeds to polo all over these guys and it is so cool it is so cool every bit of it is just so cool um forgive me if i've said this before but it was so cool and, and like timon is freaking out in the crowd and everything like that so you know it's it's hype mm -hmm. i'm saving my opinions for later i also thought it was bad cg oh I don't wow care thanks about the cg i don't care about it it was cool and speaking of uh vfx k you're gonna have to bleep out <laughs> Uh, my name. <laughs> did I say oh. Colden? No, I, I, oh. I did. I, I said it, realized it, and then immediately forgot. I'm on a roll. Polo starts chanting 13 in honor of the 13th. Some, some more guys run out. Polo like throws a guy, and he lands on a, like, a spike pillar, which was pretty intense. Well, it, it's also worth saying, there's literally been no fight scene coming close to as good as this in the entire series and yeah the cgi is kind of dated but nonetheless it like it ramps up from like um don't you talk the 13th to decapitation in like mm -hmm. a 15 second span it's... 
it, it comes out of nowhere and it was so well rehearsed and choreographed and everything like that literally probably the peak fight scene of the entire series um it's so good i feel like the crowd is also kind of booing uh polo at this point as he's yelling 13 did you guys pick up on that it's like timmons yes. excited but yeah i also kind of questioned when they when he kept saying 13th is that also because he had some kind of uh, granted paul's not the brightest one of them all but did he have some kind of feeling that like somebody in the 13th would come to save him in the i don't the... think so I, he was really resigned to death man it was real. I think it was just like a. He's like a. I'm like. I'll always be like a member of the thirteenth. Even like when I go down, like mm-hmm. I'll go to the underworld as a member of the thirteenth. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's coming to me now. Polo said he he would rather die with a sword in his hand than be subjugated. And he's you know as he feel like he, he's gonna die here, he's honoring the only family he felt like he ever had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I did want to say part of what I think makes this fight scene so gratifying and so good is that it is the only scene that has even attempted to be like really an honest to God fight scene. Like all the other ones are just kind of like um, implied battle and stuff like that. And maybe like, you know, some quick cuts in a, in a bar fight, mm-hmm. but this is gladiatorial and like just the shock of actually like seeing it all happen. is like, it's a great payoff. Cause you're like, Whoa, I didn't know we were, that was possible in this show that we're watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there's a and then there's a second quick cut to Pasca walking around town with the coin purse and everything oh, like that. Oh my gosh! I so was guys, like, at this going? point, what did you think Pasca was going to do? I thought he was gonna go like somehow buy Polo's freedom or something. Right? Yeah, that, yeah. that's yeah. what I was thinking. I definitely did not think he was gonna go get, buy Polo's freedom. I definitely thought it was he, he's he's taking that money to Erastus. You thought that? Like you, you thought yeah, that's where it was that. going from the beginning? I thought that because I was just kind of like. Earlier, I didn't want to fully talk about it until the very end, so I will save my thoughts until the very end of the episode. Pasca even getting that money was such a funny little scene of itself. He like he wordlessly mm. approaches Caesar on paperwork. Caesar like notices him just passing the money. Pasca silently walks out. It's like it's very mysterious. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I don't know where we are in this fight scene now because it's hard to describe. But at some uh, point, it's right after the Polo throws that guy onto like the the spike ring around that pillar. Okay. At some point, sad music starts playing, mm-hmm. and all of my hope disappeared. I was like, oh, my God. I thought he was going to survive this, but this is this music makes me feel like this is ending poorly. And I really was coming to terms in my head. I was like, okay, Polo is dying. I got – okay, I'll – okay. Polo, like, um, like after the, the, the pillar impale, Polo somersault murders a dude, is what I wrote. That was so yes. cool. And then Varinus, like, like he takes a second or third hit, something like that. Varinus is, like, nearly in tears as Polo's holding his wounds and once again yells 13th. Like, again, they're putting in a lot of work this episode, how much the 13th means to the veterans of that legion. You're getting a little ahead of me. I had it specifically written down that Polo, like, gets more injured and exhausted as the fight goes on, and... Varinus is near in tears as this is happening. Yeah, you can then... see it like causes him physical pain to sit still and not like intervene. Mm-hmm. And then big man enters the fray. This man is huge. Like Tim and smile turns to like utter terror. It's like, and he's, he's older too. So it's like the crowd knows this is like a, a vet um, gladiator. Mm-hmm. And his yeah. mace is a skull. <laughs> Yeah. You can also tell that he's very experienced in this arena just by 
not just his age, but you look at how many scars that man has. I'm fairly certain it kind of looked like he wasn't blind in one eye, but had a severe injury in one of his eyes. You could kind of just see the damage was already there that that this guy meant business. Agreed. Yes. The big man enters the fray. He takes down Polo fairly easily. Well, no, he doesn't fight him because Polo's already like so exhausted. He just like knocks the sword out of his hand and is about to cut his throat. Yeah. Then Varinus grabs a sword, shouts 13, and jumps into the arena and begins to fight the big man. Which uh, uh, Varinus just gets all the dubs in the world. He just never stops. Although the sad music was still playing, so for a second I was like, oh my god, Varinus is the one who's going to die. This is mm-hmm. terrible. But, and Varinus is getting his butt kicked by this guy at first. Like Spends a decent amount uh, getting knocked around, but then he manages to nearly sever Big Man's leg in a, I would call Doesn't it a also, stroke. Doesn't he also get stabbed? Like, oh yeah. In the chest? Wait, Varinus or, or Big yeah. Man? Yeah. Varinus. Oh yeah. He got stabbed in the chest, doesn't he? Because you can't see him holding his chest for a while in that battle. Mm -hmm. He then kills Big Man super hard, like the hardest I've seen in this show, by jamming his like mace like into his (sighs) neck. (laughs) Looks very cool and very gross. Looks like he has two heads now. (laughs) Big Man dies super hard. Varinus helps Polo up as the crowd cheers and chants Polo's name and begin to exit the arena. This is not a good political move on Varinus' part, but boy, did it rule. Yeah, it was really, it was cool. So we had been getting these cuts of Posca wandering through Rome. Uh, we find out now that the money he has is for Orestes Fullman. And uh, he tells Orestes to not use veterans next time. Narn, looks like Caesar did have that guy killed. I have an important thing before we discuss the very important thing. I have uh, my funniest moment, and I'd like to debut a segment on the show. It's called Eel Talk with Jacob. (laughs) (laughs) Did you just dox yourself? I don't care. Full name's full name. It's out there. If you follow me on Twitter, you probably know. Um, (laughs) So... Uh, we do open with Aras. He's, he's talking to someone about eels. Honestly, I couldn't pay attention because they they mentioned eels, and I was kind of like locked in. I was like, oh, my gosh. And he's like, yeah, the thing about eels is we don't know where they go in the autumn or, or August or something. They mention a month. Um, I, it probably wasn't August because August didn't exist yet. Mm. Uh, autumn. And I was like, oh, my God, he's right. And so welcome to Jacob's Eel Corner. And today you're going to learn where do the eels go? Because they're like, where do the eels go during autumn? And uh, the European eel, which is a freshwater eel, that <laughs> it is catadromous. So it is the opposite of a salmon, which is anadromous, lives its life in saltwater, breeds in freshwater. The freshwater eel or the European eel lives its life in freshwater and breeds in saltwater. And so all European eels go to the Sargasso Sea which you might think is close but it is not it is uh, in the bermuda triangle so all european <laughs> eels cross the atlantic sea dive deep down and we actually don't know what they do down there uh they presumably I, reproduce but we've never knew- seen it we've never recorded it and just baby eels come up i knew that i knew that was the thing like like we don't know how eels reproduce they just do yeah are you kidding i thought this was just like romans like you know being dumb this no. is a real thing. This is 100% real, without a doubt. 
Oh my god. Yeah, and the show is nothing a, if not accurate. There's a lot of good podcasts about eels and their mysteries. Um so And this is one of them now. Seek them out. And uh if I didn't mention this was my funniest part of the episode. <laughs> so uh that concludes uh eel corner with Jacob. Hopefully there are more eel corners. I have a bad feeling there won't be. God willing, we'll get at least one more. So not only in, in one episode, we went from being a Breaking Bad podcast to being a podcast about eels. We are so diverse in our topics. Mm-hmm. I had a lot. To, this is where I wanted to save how I had a feeling that that money was going to go to Rasties at the very end of this episode. Not the very end, but at the penultimate scene. I had this weird feeling that Caesar was just playing that political game of, oh, if I, I didn't know who he was until I didn't know who he was. I'm fairly certain Caesar, it has, I think Arastes or at least people in his gang at least kind of help inform stuff to get to Caesar information and get to Caesar so that he knows what's going on in the streets of Rome. And I think that's probably why Erastes has not gotten in a crazy amount of trouble because he is actually get, having people give information to Caesar. So that is why he hires Erastes to kill that one guy and why Pasca comes by to give the money and warn not to use veterans the next time. That's just a theory, but that is my thought process. I know there's not very much law enforcement in the city of Rome. That's why Erastes can kind of get away with doing what as much as he does in terms of murder but i think he also kind of gets some immunity by caesar in some way there is no law enforcement yet if i remember correctly yes yes but i'm i'm so amazed bp that you saw this coming because well at this point in the episode my notes are literally just a verbatim um all capitalization every single thought that's going through my head and so in all caps it's caesar was paying erastes exclamation point exclamation point and I was like, uh, I was, I was, I, cause I was all in cause that quote earlier where he's like, I didn't know he existed until he didn't. I was like, that's, he definitely didn't know that guy. That's such a good quote. Of course he didn't know who that man was. And he didn't know who that man was. And he had him murdered because he didn't mm-hmm. like him. And I was like, that's sad Caesar. He's playing the game. Do you and... think like Caesar was rehearsing like different deliveries on that line to like, you know, make it seem convincing like that he didn't do it? It's like, um, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know he existed till he didn't. I didn't know he existed till he didn't. You know? <laughs> I think he does that for not just that specific line, but I think he does this at any time he makes a public appearance, knowing he's going to get questioned about something or knowing something's going to happen. Like as an example from a few episodes back when he tells everyone to stop like bending their heads or kneeling or whatever the heck it was that they were doing uh, when he entered a room. I think he was just rehearsing that before he went over to that dinner because he knew it would happen and he didn't want to come off super pompous or anything like that as he was delivering it. Not that this is a Breaking Bad podcast and not that I've seen any other television shows outside of Rome and Gilmore Girls, but it would be kind of like a, a character maybe called Saul Goodman rehearsing his uh, uh, his <laughs> in-court theatrics in the bathroom before going in. I don't know. That's, someone can run with that idea. It just seems like a, a captivating character. Anyway. On to the final scene in the episode. Brutus tells his mother 
that he will kill Caesar. He doesn't say literally that. He kind of talks around the subject, but that is the implication. She comforts him as he begins to shed tears. Episode end. Not just shedding tears. It literally just looks like that acting cliche where they drop one tear town on one side just to make it seem like they got it's extra the extra emotional. Yeah, exactly. It's like the the sad Indian commercial. Cody Iron Eyes. Maybe that guy. Like, I don't. I, I all I know about that is that that man actually was an Indian. I think he was Mexican. Right. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. No, I think he was. I think he was Italian actually. So this oh, is a really Italian. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. It's all connected. All right, guys. So just as a quick overview of thoughts on the episode, I. I was pretty high on it. There was nothing here that I didn't dislike. Um, it introduced some interesting, I don't know if themes is the right word, but elements of the story that uh, solidifying this sense of the 13th Legion veteran corps and the uh, edges they'll go to to protect each other. Um, Caesar becoming apparently a little less popular among the common people. And so it is not just necessarily the jealous aristocracy like Cassius or just people mad at him that want to take him down, but there is some common people support. And finally, we maybe see for the first time Caesar 100% explicitly knowingly engaging in evil deeds. You could possibly argue everything before this. Caesar's pursuit of power and generalship was for the greater good that he had to defeat Pompey and the other senators because he saw them impeding him from his ability to save the Republic and he had an agenda to save the Republic. But in this episode, we see that he paid for the murder of one of his critics quite explicitly and is willing to sacrifice Polo and lie bold face to those around him um, that he is a good guy when, in fact, he is uh, pushing men to their deaths. I, I am Jinx. letting BP go. <laughs> God. I really like this episode. I... Uh, this isn't my top three favorite episodes so far. I honestly had to uh, rewatch the episode because I was intrigued by what was going on in this episode that I wasn't taking notes as diligently during this episode. So I had to rewatch it again just to make sure I had everything ready to go for this podcast. This is definitely, I don't know if it's my favorite. I got to maybe sink on it to not let recency bias kind of hit in, but it is definitely hitting the top three. I think I'll talk a little bit more about some stuff in my favorite moments, but yeah. I, Jacob, am hesitant to give any, uh, any extreme judgment um, or, or cast notions of uh, what is my favorite and what isn't. But uh, I will say I'm a big fan of the word penultimate and penultimate things are usually quite good. And uh, this fits the bill. It is is a very good episode. Um, every e every part of it, every part of it is um, amazing. It, amazing. Every part of it is amazing, and I it ruled. I kind of am in line with Jacob BP here. This was a fantastic episode. It is a strong contender for favorite. But I want to I want to finish out the season first before I make any big claims. But I. This episode was great, and it had a, a lot of things that I'm excited for us to talk about. All right. BP, do you think that you could give us three words to introduce Cassius, who you wisely suggested, you know, hey, that, that could be a character with introduce, worth introducing? 
Yes. Uh, the first word I have to describe Cassius is persuasive because I think he is, I don't think he is 100% the reason, but I definitely think he is a large factor into the reason why Brutus makes his decision in the end because Cassius is the one that, uh, for the last two episodes, even though he doesn't really interact with Brutus that much in the previous episode, uh, he's kind of planting the seeds almost to persuade Brutus. But this is the episode where Cassius persuades Brutus to assassinate and kill Caesar and betray Caesar. My second word is level-headed because he is seeming super calm as he is talking with Brutus about this. He's not doing anything to beg and plead from him or anything like that he is just remaining super mellow i think that's the word i would probably use for it it's just he is remaining super calm about it he is saying his thoughts but he is not getting super tangenty about it so he has remained level-headed during this whole process and i would say even though i wouldn't say this as one singular word he is very no nonsense he's not a jerk about how he is a nonsense person as far as we can tell yet but he is somebody that look does not want he wants the republic to be uh what it stands for he is very much not wanting to take any chances and he is just very no nonsense about it all right bp thank you for sharing there now guys we will get out into some separate discussions right now so for cole and bp i want to hear some theories about what will happen next episode the season finale okay now to note there are 10 episodes in Rome season two. So altogether guys, there are 11 episodes left in the entire series. How many episodes do you think Caesar is going to make it in particular? And what other characters do you think you wanna put on the table as not making it to season two, okay? Any other theories you guys want to bring to the table, however insane they may be, now is the time to throw it out there to possibly be prophetic on. So one episode to go, guys, the Calends of February. That is our next episode. And what other theories do you want to throw out there, essentially? So I'll love to hear your thoughts, guys. Um, make sense to you folks? Yep. Yes. Jacob, how, how's it coming over there? I have four questions. Cool. I, if, I, if I need to make a fifth, I can make a fifth. I, I think four will suffice for this uh, this first time here, possibly. Sure. Let me upgrade you to co-host really quick so I don't I'll forget need to, share to do my that. Screen. So, Jacob, are you ready to talk some history here? Yeah, let's talk some history. All right, all right, all right. Do you have anything you want to kick off with, or do you want me to take the lead here? Uh, I actually did have something I wanted to talk about. Um, weirdly enough, I picked up some additional Roman history this week. Oh, yeah? Um, being that you sent me another podcast mm -hmm. and I listened to both parts of it and learned some little tidbits I didn't know before about, you know, just a, a little bit about, uh, I don't know, how stuff functioned in Rome. And, and um, for listeners sake here, Behind the Bastards, their second most recent episodes by this point, it's called like um, How the Roman Republic Became a Police State. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what do you want to share, Jacob? So, well, in that podcast, they mentioned basically kind of how kind of how the welfare system worked in Rome 
which was mm. like all the poor people were kind of assigned a rich person and they were mm. called their clients. Mm. And and Varinus, uh, when he is seeing people in Varinus Square, refers or he has that discussion with the piss pot guy and then Mass Massia, was that his name? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, something like that. And so. he's like, well, I must see to the rest of my clients first. And I was like, oh my gosh, I know what that means now. Otherwise, mm. I would have been like clients, like – are these people paying you for business but like now i know they're the basically the poor people that varinus is responsible for which i was like that's a, a nice little subtle piece of history that mm -hmm. was cool yeah yeah i i totally agree it was a really fun episode to listen to um and of course they cover a wide breadth of history and probably like two to three cumulative hours so it's it's really good i recommend it definitely um and i definitely noted that same thing you did jacob um mm. i had a few things to note here with uh, this whole issue with giving land to veterans that is yeah. a big theme in the republic's history it's not necessarily something i highlighted too much on dotrr but by caesar's time veterans were accustomed to promises of farmland upon their retirement and the way an aspiring general wanted to take power got a lot of soldiers on his side was giving them good perks and benefits like that. But obviously, there's only so much land that could be doled out. And various leaders before Caesar had continuously evicted people off Italy's best land because, you know, obviously they want to be close to their homelands or, you know, gave them land throughout the Republic. And then whoever but whoever they evicted off the land often became jobless and sent to Rome, amplifying Rome's poor population and those stresses upon the city. So Caesar is smart to want to send a possibly troublesome legion uh, retirees far away from Rome. And Augustus later on entirely solved this problem by he just got rid of the promises of land and simply made the retirement uh, bonus. And that is all they got. But Augustus also did use Caesar's play of keeping legions far away from Italy. So if they did turn against him, they were far away so he could gather strength and mm -hmm. far enough from each other as to not infect several legions with rebellion only a handful at a time so a couple of history connect uh, connections i had made there and i i was curious jacob about your thoughts on brutus um how his turn from caesar is depicted here because in the show brutus kind of turns against caesar because he's pulled into it by his family because he can no longer deny caesar's dictatorial power because he felt caesar no longer trusted him when he didn't do anything wrong and at every opportunity tried to support caesar like this show goes out of its way to make it a very personal relationship and while the historical brutus and caesar did have a personal relationship the way at least I presented it in DOTRR was not so complex as what's presented here. But but what do you think, I guess, about the turn of the character of Brutus in the show? Well, I will I will mince my words a little because um, the scene in question that mm -hmm. is kind of the pivotal moment is my favorite. OK, OK. Um, but it is interesting because in my head this whole time, I kind of just assumed this was all kind of correct and how history went. Because in the depiction of Caesar's assassination, um, I know like one of the co-conspirators is someone who was in Caesar's will, like someone he trusted a lot and mm -hmm. like considered a friend. And so this whole time, I think I was kind of just like, yeah, that's probably Brutus. Um, but now that you mention it, I'm thinking uh, it probably was not. And it was just another person who's less important. Um, that sure. that person in the will, Jacob, it's actually like one of Brutus's cousins named Decimus Brutus. But, oh, yeah. okay. So maybe maybe it's like some um, amalgamation of Brutus's. Yeah. Uh, just to create this character. Yeah. But um, 
I don't know. I feel like his transition into this, uh, I think it's handled quite well. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, sure, everyone is pushing him into it, but I feel like it's because they know Brutus as a person and what his true sense of self is. Mm. And like, there's like, this is not you. Like, you know what you must do. And Brutus is like, my hand is forced. I've made friends with him. He is my friend. And then uh, finally one enough, you know, I, dominoes falling is not the right turn of phrase, but when enough dominoes fall, he's like, they're right. This is me. This is what I must do. I, you know, I, I do see what you mean about the phrase dominoes falling, Jacob, and maybe it's not mm-hmm. most applicable here, but I really do think that, you know, the, the domino effect is something that we'll see throughout this series of just how one event, mm-hmm. a prime mover, leads a, uh, to another thing. Um, I would agree with you, Jacob. I think that this show... Um, how it depicts Brutus's turn against Caesar is pretty powerful. Um, that Caesar didn't trust Brutus, even though Brutus is privately scourging literally everyone else around him, defending Caesar. His mm-hmm. mother, the dude his mom is letting in their home, his new stepdad, um, uh, um, and Cassius. Um, he's he's shutting all of them down to trying to support Caesar. My only thing is, I just wish this tension could have marinated another episode or two quite frankly like sure, he yeah spends, he spends a little longer in the pressure cooker having to defend caesar um and getting increased pressure from every other side but i i really I'll, I'll mention it here as well tobias menzies who plays brutus he does a really good job brutus comes across as a really likable character i think a lot of it is like his self-deprecating humor like we've seen in this episode and previous ones and also he get you know he's a pretty charming fellow as well mm-hmm. so it's a it's a really awesome performance that gets us on brutus aside in my opinion but mm-hmm. anything else worth sharing here jacob um history wise uh no um spot on with the eels <laughs> Yeah. So now's the time, guys. If you have any predictions you want to make for what we're going to see in the Callens of February season finale, now's the time to make them. I do explicitly want to hear how many episodes you think Caesar has left in him, as well as any other character deaths you want to predict before season two hits us. Uh, but anything else is valid as well. Go for it, guys. So Caesar is making it one more episode. He is dying next episode. I stake my life on it. Okay. He's not Jeez, the only one. What? Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm that confident. Caesar dies, and if he doesn't, Cole does. <laughs> exactly. Now, I also think Niobe is going to die. And then Whoa. maybe, maybe Orestes. See, that there's a, there's a through thread here. Not necessarily Caesar relating to the other two, but I think uh, Orestes... I think he remembers the insult done to him by Varinus in past episodes. So I think maybe Niobe, possibly the children, but Niobe mostly, is going to be the one to like pay the price for that. Oh, then, of Erasti's wrath? Yeah, like okay, he's going to okay. kill her in revenge. And then maybe Varinus, with his uh, returned best friend Polo, go on a, a little revenge spree of their own and take out Erasti's. I think that could play out. Dude, you say that's so likely, but if that does occur, like, that seems like it'd be, like, a John Wick-level proportion, like, uh, uh, violence that would occur there. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I so, mean, now, so now we're a John Wick podcast. versus dog. <laughs> I, I stand by my point. <laughs> Are you saying Varinus loves Niobe like a dog, or John Wick loved the dog like a wife? Either way, I don't like it. <laughs> I, I'm saying it's a deep love and affection. <laughs> yeah. 
And if anyone's a dog, it's Polo. If anyone's a dog, it's Mark Anthony. <laughs> arf, arf. <laughs> Gotta get I, one of those in every episode. <laughs> yeah. I also believe that Caesar has one more episode. I think the Ides of March will happen in this coming episode. Okay. I also believe that Niobe is going to die. I also believe Erasmus is going to die, but I don't think it's going to be the same way that Cole has it played out. I think something different is going to happen with Niobe and something different will happen with Erastes. Do you care to elaborate? Now's the time. I believe that it has been built up for this entire season. I think Varenus is going to find out about Niobe's infidelity that warning I believe that she will take her own life okay I believe that's where that will take and I think Erastes is just going to be a revenge kill not for Varenus but for Polo because Polo is going to kill Erastes out of revenge for essentially ratting him out to Caesar okay okay a- any other theories you want to make here, guys? Any other well, not writing him out to see, not writing him out to Caesar, but for essentially selling, uh, for essentially making for Polo being arrested on a murder that Caesar paid for. Okay. I originally thought that Caesar was going to die at the end of the episode. I actually could see this happening at the beginning of the episode, kicking off right with the Ides of March, and then getting ready for the aftermath. What makes the both of you so certain that Caesar dies? Well, history. I do know the Ides of March. Hmm. And I also, yeah. What, what's that? Uh, I've seen history before. <laughs> well, spoiler. no, you don't have to. No, I was just, I was having fun. Yeah. Caesar does die at some point in history, guys. Sorry to spoil it to you. <laughs> As does every single person that is in the show. Well, the gods, maybe not. Hey, we haven't seen them. Varenus uh, lives on in all of us. I also believe that I also believe that Pasca is not going to make it by the end of the season. I believe that <laughs> he is going to try to stand guard of Caesar. Uh, somebody kills him, and then I don't think Pasca's got any business guarding anybody. BP's just lining up as many people in a room as he can. He's like, well, if I pull this gun, I'm going to kill someone. <laughs> uh, I think there are plenty of characters that are safe. I think Varenus, Polo, Octavia, Adia, Octavian. I know Octavian is safe. Oh, you know, huh? I'm not going to from- go on this further. <laughs> <laughs> just from historical context that I know. <laughs> and my dog will not stop barking now. Anyways. I know that many characters are safe, but I believe that those are the four that will not make it. Okay. Okay. Cole, anything else worth mentioning? Not really for this season. I'm de- I just said that I- I'm curious to see if they're going to do anything fun with Caesarian because I know yeah. what happened uh, with him in history. And uh, I'm, I'm curious if they're going to play with that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. I also believe even though I have just, been kind of essentially it's been kind of just implied and also verbally told to me by somebody on this podcast i'm not going to name names 
I believe you that can, cr- you can keep quiet. You can keep quiet. I believe Crossus is dead. I don't think we're gonna ever see him. Uh, <laughs> okay, do we just reveal K? Yeah, Crassus is Caesarian. <laughs> and you guys are never gonna believe this. <laughs> Pennywise is the clown. That's the second time I've referenced that back to back weeks. It's an inside joke no one understands. I don't even think I'm quoting it right. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, this the guy... waiter was Pennywise. <laughs> The eel was Pennywise. Oh, oh, oh. We might get ahead of ourselves. We might get ahead of ourselves. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Leave it at that. Okay. Does anybody have a least favorite moment to share? I think Cole does. I said nothing of the sort. Oh, I definitely thought you said, I'm going to save my opinion on this for later. And it was the part where Polo crushes the bug. Yeah, yeah, I joked about that, that was that his least. least. This is yeah, that, that was it's the joke made. Yeah, that is that is one of them. Um, I've got a least favorite moment to share. Um, I'm Ooh. I'm 100 percent serious here. This was an excellent episode, and you guys might remember me from two episodes ago where um I said that Octavia and Octavian sleeping together tainted the whole series for me. I'm just gonna throw this out there, just like plot-wise, Octavia slept with her brother several months ago in their Rome timeline, and it is utterly irrelevant this episode. How? Like, how do you have such a, a dynamic-destroying moment like that, and you, if you had missed that episode, you wouldn't have known it would pass? Like, it's if you are going to have a thing that extreme and vulgar and volatile, how... It, you could have missed it. You didn't need to watch it. And this episode would have made utter and total sense, quite frankly. I don't like that scene. And I don't want it to come back in any way, shape, or form ever. But it, it's I, I stake my point that it is not so affecting enough that it needed to be mentioned again. So why didn't they just find another way around it? It didn't need to be there. Um, rant over. So to be clear, Kay's least favorite least moment favorite of the episode is the same moment from, from two, weeks two episodes ago. ago. Tis, tis. Does, does this prove that you would never want to watch HBO's Rome again, like you said two weeks ago, or would you just skip that episode? I like I said, TBD. I no, I I'm not gonna watch this again unless it's with a loved one. Fair enough. All right, guys, and now we'll go ahead and get into our favorite moments of the episode. I had initially said there would not be a quiz section, but so in lieu of that uh, initial promise, we were going to have everyone say two favorite moments from this episode, which is nice because we're all riding pretty high on it here. I'll go ahead and start here, guys. My favorite scene was um, Caesar, Octavian, Verenus discussing the fate of what would become of Polo. It starts out really well with Octavian bursting in. He's like, Verenus. And Caesar's like, ah, Magistrate Verenus. So uh, the social dynamics between them have changed. But it's it's a really good scene because it shows Octavian's care for Polo. Because, again, you know, we haven't seen them share much screen time together, but they have a far implied relationship, spending months training together. Uh, making a snuff film together and Octavian for some reason has I guess very uh, been very drawn to Polo and I guess you know Polo and Verena's kind of saved his life which makes sense but Octavian doesn't seem to be one to say thank you very much but I guess he uh, Polo is someone he feels indebted to and someone he should save 
um, and Venus's emotional battleground, but then also just Caesar's ambivalence and like navigating these waters like, oh no, Octavian, we can't go out and save Polo because that would reflect bad upon me. You know, he's one of my veterans. He happened to kill one of my enemies. Not that I know anything about that when he actually does. So the dynamics of that scene was really interesting. I think made most powerful by the obligation Octavian feels to save Polo. And he even goes out on his own to try to save him via Timon. So that's what I had to say about it. Cole, do you have something to add there? Uh, not really. You summed up my thoughts pretty well. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry to steal your thunder. Uh, it's all right. Hey, uh, I, I have a second one. And the second one was my most favorite scene of the episode. The scene where Polo is in the dungeon and he sacrifices the beetle because I think this is like a wonderful like parallel for how Polo was in the first episode where he was imprisoned and he literally like is praying to the gods. He's like, yeah, I'll give you like a, a sheep. Like, kind of like he's offering up all this stuff that he doesn't have on hand and then is immediately let out. But in this, it's just he's just asking that uh, Ereni live like a long and happy life. Oh. He asks that uh, Varinus and his family live long, happy lives. Like he just wants what's good for them. And all he sacrifices is this little beetle because the beetle is all he has with him. But it is something concrete that he physically has that he can do right now. So it's like, it's not just like a, oh, I promise I'll get you later. It's like a, oh no, this is w- what I have. This is all I can offer you. And it's just like, just a great show of like development for him and like how much of a, not quite more pious, but I guess more pious, but like just like a better person he's become. Mm-hmm. And also just like hoping that Ereni will one day forgive him, which I think cements what I said last episode about, I think he would not have reacted the way he did if he hadn't found out that way. Like if he had just like mm-hmm. someone had told him she was married, I think he would have been angry, but I think he like would have accepted it. Mm-hmm. Polo is was, so good. It's soul crushing when he's like, yeah, praying for firstly, he says Irene and I'm like, oh, man, yeah, he really loves her still despite all this. But, uh, but then also like Farinas and you're like, oh, it's so great that he still thinks Farinas, his friend, even though Farinas is like, you're dead to me. And it's, it's like, you can see in this moment why he kind of is resigned to death and he's fine with it. Like made all these mistakes to these important people. But it's just, it just, it just took a hold of my soul and it chewed it up and it spit it out. Good choice. Good choice, Cole. Thank you. I'll do the scene with Brutus and Cassius. I think that there are some really strong quotes within this scene. I think this really harkens back to when I talked about an episode one of this podcast, when I said Brutus is a very conflicted character. And I think that this is just another solidification that he is just so conflicted. He really does not know what the right decision is. He sees Caesar as a father, but he knows exactly who Caesar is, but he also feels that what Caesar might be doing is best for the Republic. I want to give a quote here or a couple of quotes. Brutus says, he trusts me. I cannot betray that trust. For friendship, you would let the Republic die. I am just a man. The life or death of the Republic is not in my hands. The Republic is in your hands. The people will not accept a tyrant's death unless a Brutus holds the knife. Holds the knife. I think that, like Jacob had said and Kay had reiterated, 
very quotable episode. I think that this is just a very strong scene and it kind of really shows we got to meet Cassius in the last episode. I think this really, even though we still don't get to see a whole lot of him, we see who he, we're really seeing the foundation for him as a character. And it also really sets up where Brutus's character is heading at the very end of this episode when he tells Servilia, his mother, that I'm going to kill Caesar. BP, what you'd said there was one of my quotes. Um, and I, I love the weight of it. It's like, uh, uh, the public couldn't accept the death of a tyrant unless a Brutus holds a knife. Not not you, Brutus, but a Brutus. It's like the family's name that Brutus holds is like um, a self-fulfilling prophecy upon him that everyone looks to him to do this deed as his ancestors had expelled the last kings out of Rome. And so it's just that family prestige that Brutus doesn't want yet is burdened with. Yes, very well written, very well acted scene and it is very uh well developed in terms of foreshadowing uh so the arena the fight this this whole scene with uh you know polo gladiatorially fighting for his life and uh it rules and i've kind of i really honestly can't add too much outside of what i've already said it's this great payoff because we have not seen a fight at all really uh in rome so far and like the simple shock factor of like seeing the fight and seeing uh a head cut off and arms cut off in viscera everywhere is uh incredibly effective and like even though we know that polo is this amazing soldier who um is very good and very cool uh it again is very cool to see him be such a good soldier and like so good at fighting and um it is also a really rewarding moment that he's just like yeah just kill me i don't have to listen to you do whatever but like his pride in what he did while he was alive being a member of the 13th legion is so strong that he is willing to fight and die for that yeah i agree with everything you shared jacob and i think this is one of those things where i know that a lot of people criticize rome for not having a lot of action or and i have been critical of when action has taken place on the show but despite some dated cgi i actually really liked the way this whole sequence was shot I think that there is a lot of buildup. I think that there is strong amount of tension uh, where even if you have this feeling that Polo and Brinus are going to make it out of it alive and it still has that tension where you kind of question, maybe they won't, maybe they will, maybe they won't, yada, yada, yada. Also, I have to say that Varinus, even though I do think Polo did a fantastic job, like an example, throwing the one guy over and impaling him with that little spear area next to the wall. I have to say, Varinus is a big MVP in this sequence. Yeah, uh, I get an honorable mention should go to all the, the crowd shots, which are really evocative as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Varinus. MVP of the sequence, in my opinion, even though Polo has some great moments. I don't want to shy away from the moments of Polo, but I think Varinus doesn't necessarily steal the spotlight, but he becomes the MVP because he, I think this is the moment where he realizes I, Polo is my brother. I, I, he, he needs me and I need him. I'm going to save his life. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I will additionally real fast hit my other favorite scene. My absolute favorite scene of the episode um, is where Caesar and Brutus are discussing matters. 
my first note of it is that it's actually a very, again, a beautiful setting, beautiful scene. We can see outside and it's evening and the sun is setting. It's very solemn. You hear the sounds of crickets um, and, you know, some some light noise. And it, it's it's very effective at setting the mood. And uh, immediately Caesar's like, you know, Brutus, I've always thought of you as a son. Brutus is like, oh, it's going to be one of those conversations. And, uh, you know, they, they really get into it because, uh, as we know, Caesar's trying to send uh, Brutus off to be uh, basically the governor of Macedonia. And Brutus is taking this as a sign that Caesar doesn't trust him. He wants him away from uh, Rome where he could theoretically assassinate and kill him. And in the moment while I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, my gosh, is this the inciting incident for Brutus's uh, like revolt or change of heart? And it, it really is um, this 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 he has done nothing wrong to make caesar not trust him even though he wants to and and you finally see that that tension boil up and burst in brutus uh because caesar's basically like i there's pictures of you killing me all over the city and brutus is like only tyrants worry about tyrants being killed and you have told me so many times that you are not a tyrant so why do you not trust me why are you sending me away to macedonia and it's it's such a, a great climax for this like journey we've been on with brutus and his his struggle with being like yeah caesar is my friend and i kind of do look to him as a father but politically what he is doing is not right and i have done right by him as long as i can but this has this has broken me and i will take no more and uh the, just the back and forth and the dynamic dynamic even between caesar and brutus uh is just it's cutting and it's great well it even starts out from like a friendly place as well because when brutus says oh dear it's one of those conversations he still says it in a playful tone and everything like yeah, that absolutely mm -hmm. it, it makes it makes such like the final descent in it is when caesar says um you know i could legally compel you to go there and yeah. that's when yeah it's like the fact that caesar would play that card and maybe adia even got under his skin in that when he says you know you're you're painted with a knife at my throat on every street corner like you know caesar is shook by these images and by the people's mm -hmm. perception and so whether he was already thinking that or whether it was adia that it inspired this change uh, yeah. coincidentally and and the and brutus is like oh you think of me as your son yet you would legally compel me to go to macedonia what what man what that's like yeah it's great it's great i will share my last favorite thing which was just a variety of quotes from the episode the thing is guys uh you all said half of them by this point yeah so there are three more i want to highlight um antony talking about cicero um praising caesar uh he's uh his specific quote was he praises you so long and high one might think he was being sincere excellent excellent venom from antony um <laughs> this was a nice little exchange at adia's party adia asks uh varinus how did a grim thing like you win such a flower talking about niobe varinus mm -hmm. says i found her when she was still young and foolish which is <laughs> weird because like um it's it's hard to imagine Niobe ever being like a, a playful, foolish person who would rush into a soldier's mm -hmm. arms like Varinus or like the fact that Varinus could even appeal to her just like based off of them meeting each other as strangers again. Like, I feel like when they first met, I didn't see any love that they had ever had for each other. So it, it was a it's a funny quote, but um, uh, nonetheless, anyways. Um, and my final one was uh, when Alex Jones, Gladiator, is trying to rile up 
Polo and talking down to the 13th. Polo just from from non-compliance and just being out of it, ready to die. When he insults the 13th, he says his total tone change, total tone shift, don't you talk the 13th. And that's when they start needling him. And that's when uh, Polo goes beast mode, basically. So yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of great quotes. We covered most of them already. Thank you guys. Before we get to the outros, we have a new segment on the show. Okay, <laughs> uh, do you want to introduce it or should I should I go into it? I feel like I feel like it's 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 the Eel Master's turn to speak. Ladies and gentlemen, this was or I guess gentlemen. <laughs> gentlemen, this was a uh, impromptu but uh in the the waning moments of the show, um I have been able to put together a quiz of sorts because uh, jacob's eel corner will probably not return ever um i have created an eel quiz for you all so i have five questions for you and uh we're going to determine how much you three know about eels how the turntables huh Kay? yeah yeah you're down here slumming it with us uh the winner of this gets the permanent title of eel master um and you know that is a, a legally binding title i think it entitles you to land in the italian peninsula so um jacob uh which of us here had listened to your 20 episode eel-based podcast who has a little bit of a natural advantage uh i think it's uh it's cole cole <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah I, so yeah you thought i was new to the eel corner you um, were new to the eel corner so uh, five questions here, like a, a normal quiz we have here at the end of the episode. Uh, most of them are multiple choice. There's one true or false, and we will get into it. Number one, the European eel travels to the Sargasso Sea to reproduce. What other freshwater eel also goes to the Sargasso Sea? Is it A, the Japanese eel, B, the North American eel, C, the longfin eel, or D, the marbled eel? Let's lead with K. Not got to participate in any of these quizzes, so only right that you start us off. Sure, sure. I'm going to say North American eel. Okay, locking in North American. BP? I will also say North American eel. Okay, BP locking in North American. And Cole, our resident eel expert. Going Japanese eel, baby. Going Japanese eel. While all these eels are catadromous, meaning they live in freshwater and move to saltwater to reproduce, only two species of eels travel to the Sargasso Sea, one, of course, being the European eel traveling all the way across the Atlantic. And the North American eel makes the Aww. relatively shorter jaunt from North America. Points to K and BP. Number two, the electric eel. While eel in name is not actually an eel. True or false? I am going to go false because I think it is an eel. Mm, okay. B or K thinks it's an eel. BP. I think it is true. I think it's true. You think it is not an eel. Uh, Cole. False. False. So there are many eels that produce, or things called eels, that produce electrical impulses. But the fish that's common name is a, the electric eel is not a member of the family of eels. It is a member of the family Gymnotidae. Therefore, it is not actually an eel. It is a knife fish. So that is points to uh, BP's got a commanding lead. Number three, 
Which famous scientist dedicated much of his younger life to finding the reproductive organs of eels? Little backstory. For the longest time, no one could figure out where their reproductive organs were. No matter how many they dissected, they couldn't find ovaries. They couldn't find gonads. So was it A, Sir Isaac Newton, B, David Attenborough, C, Louis Pasteur, or D, Sigmund Freud? Okay. I'm going to go with David Attenborough. Okay, the the BBC naturalist himself. BP. I was also going to say David Attenborough. Oh, leaning towards the biologist you've seen on television wise, perhaps. Uh, Cole. I was also thinking David Attenborough, but you know, I don't want to keep the same. I'll go Louis Pasteur. So, while all of these men are known for their scientific exploits, perhaps David Attenborough more for his... uh, Uh, documentarian exploits. Only one of them dedicated their life to finding the reproductive organs of eels. To much failure, this was a man who would later go on to really dedicate much of his life to talking and thinking about sex. So it's only right that is it is psychologist Sigmund Freud spent much of his younger years dissecting hundreds of eels looking for their reproductive organs. So that's the first one I wrote off. Yeah. So none of you got points for that. That is 100% true. Holy smokes. Yep. This one maybe is a little easier. Eel is a common dish. What is it often referred to as? Dish meaning food. Is it A, unagi, B, pollo loco, C, shakushuka, or D, dunny? Okay, lead us off. You might have an advantage in this one. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) okay. That makes me feel more confident. I'm going to go unagi. Okay, BP. I was also going to say A. And Cole. I'm going to say C. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Uh, so, unfortunately, Dunny is an Australian slang term for uh, the bathroom. I do not have enough time to even figure out what shakshuka is. Uh, Poyo loco is, of course, crazy chicken. And yeah. A, unagi, is a Japanese term for eel. So I, I, wanted, I wanted on record that I, I assumed that was the right answer, but I still yeah. wanted to... Well, maybe it's okay to go with the majority sometimes. No, never. That's not how you win. You gotta play to win. Um, number five, I saw it only fitting, since this is a podcast about Rome, and the language spoken in Rome is Latin, that we discuss what the Latin word for eel is. So, uh, what is the Latin word for eel, or referring to something that generally resembles the shape of an eel? Uh, is it A, kinesternin, B, anguilla, C, rostrata, or D, Morani. Okay, lead us off. Just just checking spelling, Jacob. Anguilla, is that one L or two that L's there? That is two L's. There, there's two L's there. Okay. Yes. I'm going to go with, it's a guess, but Rostrata. Rostrata. Okay, BP. B. B, Anguilla for BP. I'm going to go with, was it Marame? D. M- Marani, yes. Marani, yes. Uh, so... Three of these are vaguely uh, associated with eels. Uh, Kynosternin is a genus of turtles, so wisely none of you chose that. Morani is a a bastardization of the family of moray eels, which is moranidae, but it is not the Latin word for eel. Rostrata is the species name or specific epithet of the North American freshwater eel, but again, not the Latin word for eels in general, that would be anguilla, which the freshwater eel family anguilla D is named after. So points to BP. I think he is our eel master. I think so. He is. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> who, who would have thought it? Who would have thunk? 
Well, that wow. concludes our eel quiz. Thank you wow, all for thanks. joining me. Um, I'm hope you learned some because uh, that Sigmund Freud fact that that hits you, man. Sigmund yeah, Freud is basically now. like the the fifth host of the show at this point, honestly. So yeah, honestly, yeah. Uh, let's see, Cole BP. Did you guys come up with any game shows in your breakout room, real quick? You know, I've. If I had known that we were planning game shows, I probably could have thrown something together. All right, guys. So uh, next week, we're going to talk Rome's season one finale, episode, season one, episode 12, The Callens of February. Tweet your thoughts at the show at DOTRRPod on Twitter. If you want to learn more about the real history behind this episode, you can listen to the first half of Death of the Roman Republic, Chapter 14, Dictator for Life. The rest of this HBO episode was a lot of invented history, some good, some, yeah, awesome uh leave a rating on apple Podcasts if you're able to my fellow hosts do you have anything to promote my name is jacob aside from being uh an eel man um you can follow me on twitter at soup catfish yolo uh you can follow or you can if you are if the eel thing gets you going i talk about more biology stuff on a youtube channel with more videos in the future hopefully at the great wilds follow me on letterbox at people oil spell 98 you can follow me on Twitter at Lobordy. That's at L I L underscore B O R T Y. I'm on kind of a dry spell lately, but you know, if I think of something <laughs> funny, I'll throw it up. <laughs> Am I good to take us out now? All right, since Cage blatantly refuses to answer my question, uh, with all that being said, friends, Romans, countrymen, I hope you enjoyed the show. Eel, 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 eel,